Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pr- pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Distributing channels, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, you got some, I saw your LinkedIn, man. You've had some big time guests in your show. Yeah, I'm trying really hard. No, no talent whatsoever. It's just kind of just, you know, going out of my way to reach out to people, you know? Sure. No, you're, 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 I thought, I mean, I didn't, I, okay, forgive me, but I never watched Tiger King, but I saw right. you had Carol Baskin. How do you even get her? I just emailed her. She probably responded within 10 minutes, too. Wow. It's like, it'd be an honor. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're in for, but we'll see. I didn't watch it either. I literally, a couple of my roommates were like, all right, we're just going to binge watch it the night before. Yeah. I think I did it on like a Monday morning, Sunday night. We watched like all seven parts. Damn. Pretty- <laughs> How was she? Uh, well-spoken businesswoman, probably well well more prepped than I was brought okay. up the topics that I wanted to ask before I could even bring them up. So right. you know, she, she was prepared. She, uh, she was definitely, um, ready to go and ready to, um, you know, promote herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I won't take too much of your time here, but you know, I, I was very intrigued. I listened to your show, the too tall podcast, obviously you got with, with the network. Um, Obviously, you know, playing in, you know, professional baseball, kind of evolving, uh, going into business, obviously having to do certain things, uh, you know, take me back to like the beginning, you know, just to get started, like you uh, playing basketball, obviously baseball as well, choosing baseball, you know, growing up in, in the SoCal area, what, you know, going way back, what, what turned you on to sports, why, uh, what was your inspiration behind it? And, you know, why, why baseball over basketball too? Cause you're like six foot seven, right? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, just from young age, my dad's a huge sports fan. So I grew up, you know, Southern California, Lakers, Dodgers, like that was, that was it for me. So, you know, that, that kind of sparked my fandom. Um, and I don't know, I, I've always been drawn to basketball and, and baseball. It's just the two sports. I played other sports when I was younger, soccer and other stuff like that. But, you know, those are the two that I really were passionate about. Um, and then once I got to high school, you know, I wanted to play both all four years. And I'm a big believer in playing multiple sports. I think it makes you a better athlete. Um, but once I, you know, figured out that my career was probably going to be in baseball, I was like, okay, I can leave basketball. I just didn't, I didn't see as much of a future in basketball. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give baseball a shot. I'm tall. I'm a pitcher. You know, I, I want to see if I can get to college through baseball. So that's what I ended up doing. That's interesting. I mean, a lot of people will just see the size and be like, dude, you got to be a basketball player, right? Right. Yeah. A lot, of course. Everyone says that, right. Or volleyball, like I should have, or swimming. I should have done these things. You know what? It's just, I looked at like, okay, could I, I probably could have played division two basketball somewhere, played four years and then graduated. And that would have been it for my basketball career. You know, I'm guessing, you know, unless I would have gotten a a transfer to a D one, but I just saw the, I made kind of a business decision when I was 18. Like, what can I really be good at? I like basketball more, but what's my job going to be? So I I thought I had a chance at baseball. 
So it was obviously, you know, uh, you said like when it came to the professional side, like what's going to, at the end of the day, what's going to make me more money, you know, right. coach baseball over that and obviously the passion for it too. Did sure. you, like in high school when you played multiple sports, was it like you were all in on all of them or was it like, okay, baseball is obviously the number one and then basketball I'm playing for just, you know, like the team atmosphere, you know, having fun or was it more along the lines of like, I'm in this a hundred percent for everything I'm doing right now. I was in on both all four years. Honestly, like basketball is my true passion. I love basketball. Like that's my number one sport. But I also knew that I was good at baseball. So I was like, you know what, let me just, I'm going to keep playing them both. And then once I got to the point where, you know, I wasn't even highly recruited either. You know, I was sending pitching videos to University of Arizona to see if they would even like me or whatever. So um, I became a recruited walk-on there. And, you know, I, like I said, not a lot of offers. It's kind of a gamble. I didn't know what my, my future was going to be, but I took a tour of the school, loved it. You know, it's not too far away from home, but it's also far enough away. So I, I thought it was a good fit. Um, but obviously, I didn't know how it was going to go when I got there. How late did you sign? Like, how late did your senior year, did you know, like, okay, I'm finally committed. This is where I'm going to school. I think, like, second semester of high school, maybe January, February, I had an idea if I was going to go there. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I didn't have a – I was kind of a late bloomer. I didn't have a lot of schools knocking at my door. All the local JCs and community colleges, and I had a few East Coast offers – but nothing that I really was drawn to. So um, I was kind of self-promoting a little bit. I had to back in the day. So um, luckily they thought enough of me. I, I wasn't on scholarship, so I was a recruited walk-on. So not a priority guy. So obviously that, that helps if you are. I learned that when I got there. So It's honestly good for you to like have that, like you're excited, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to this school. I have an opportunity, but then you what did, didn't you have to like try out and then make the team as a walk on that way or did you I, I mean I kind of made the team already I was it wasn't like a tryout situation but I was basically like gonna be on the team I ended up redshirting my first year again maybe I wasn't ready or maybe I just wasn't a priority guy whatever the reason so I didn't pitch my first year at all um and then my second year I barely pitched so I was like I need to I'm not gonna get drafted if I don't get exposure somewhere if I don't pitch I'm not gonna get seen by scouts so I ended up having to, to you know choose to transfer, which is the best thing I ever could have done. But um, I don't know if you want me to move on to that yet. But um, my time at U of A was a lot of fun. Great school. It's just the baseball side. You know, sometimes you pick a school and it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're going to end up there. You know, I just wasn't one of their guys. So. Well, I mean, it's good on your part. And I give you credit for, you know, wanting to be that guy. Like I, I basically picked this to be my profession, at least at the time. And you're like, I need the reps. I need exposure. Like U of A, like great, college town you know in tucson arizona like you could have just hung out those four years and just done whatever you wanted to do just right. hang out be a part of the team atmosphere you weren't going to play much though so you took a bet on yourself you leave you go back closer to home right in, in, in long beach state and then that kind of opened the door and kind of paved your way for you know what happened later on in your career that some people would say I took as big of a gamble transferring to Long Beach as I did going to Arizona. I mean, this, the program was stacked. They were loaded. We had a bunch of draft picks eventually at the end of that year in 2008. So, but I was like, I, I need to pitch. So I ended up throwing, I, I was not sure it was hundred percent Long Beach the summer of 07. The other thing was if you go D one to D one, that was the last summer you could not have to sit out a year and then. Right. Be able to play. Yeah. So I had to make a move that summer. And yeah, like you said, could I have stayed at Arizona four years and been happy and yeah, and partied or whatever? Yeah, sure. But that's not what my mindset was. My mindset was, I want to see if I can make this baseball thing into something professional. I didn't know what I had. I had barely any, you know, pitching experience. So I took a chance on myself and went to Long Beach. Not even, I didn't even know what my role in the team was going to be. So I went in as basically like a middle reliever, you know, as the season went on, things, I started pitching better. And then I end up pitching in the playoffs in a regional and did well. So it's like, you know, a lot can change in one year. So it was the best decision I made. And that's, I finally got, got the exposure I wanted. What were some of the other schools? Like you mentioned, like East coast schools as well, that were kind of on the table, but not that. You know, yeah. So there were, when I was transferred from Arizona, they were actually, they were cool about it. They were like the, some of the coaches reached out like university of Utah wanted to offer me a scholarship. I wasn't really, you know, too big on going there. Um, and I was throwing bullpens for Cal State Fullerton and Long Beach. Like I was, and those are two rivals out here. So I was trying to decide. Um, and there were schools like Bucknell, for instance, or like, you know, those random East Coast schools that you hear about in March Madness that no one ever goes to. 
or knows knows about on the West Coast. So schools like that. Um, but I, I was never going to go there. Like it just, it wasn't, again, I needed exposure. So I want to go to a program that was going to be a good program. So that's why I chose Long Beach. It was a good fit. I had a great time there. Totally different, you know, no football team. It, I mean, they had a basketball team, but not the same atmosphere school-wise as U of A. But again, I'm going there to get seen by scouts. And so that's what happened. That's kind of like, you know, with us, I, I, I'm aspiring to be a play-by-play voice for someone. We get reps. I go to Grand Canyon University. Could have went to ASU, you know, Walter Cronkite School, compete with like 500 other kids. Like, you'll get the education, but like here, you get the reps. There's like six broadcasters who want to pursue this. Like, I get to call all the games and not have to worry about, you know, worrying about 500 other kids that want to do this. How early on at uh, U of A in Tucson did you realize that, okay, I'm not going to play here. I need to make a switch. Was it kind of a growing pain thing or did you realize it right off the bat and you're like, okay, I got to lay out a plan and get out of here? So they kind of had a a down year before I got there. And and then the class that I came in with was completely stacked of scholarship players. So first year, fine. They redshirt me, whatever. It is what it is. Sometimes kids need an extra year to grow. But by the time my second year came around and they were, you know, I clearly was not a priority guy. I barely pitched. Like I thought I could have definitely been in the rotation or been a, a priority guy, but they had, they had a ton of talent there. So I was just like, I'm not going to just sit in then junior year. Everybody was going to be coming back anyway. So am I just going to waste away my career sitting behind people when I think I actually should be at least as good, if not better than them. And it actually turned out in the draft too. I got drafted a lot higher than some of their guys that weren't the premier people there anyway. So it was kind of validation for me. Like, yes, I can compete at the highest level. So I'm glad I made the move. Otherwise I would have, I know never probably wouldn't have gotten drafted. Who knows? Was that the only, um, option were there other schools that you were thinking about whereas Long Beach just made sense like you knew you were going to get the playing time and it was also kind of a good situation being closer to home I think yeah the ones I mentioned earlier like Utah Fullerton some of those East Coast schools like that JC's around here those those are the schools that were in play but um, yeah like I said took a gamble on myself I wasn't sure what my role was going to be but eventually I started you know like they have midweek games sometimes in college other than the Friday Saturday Sunday so I would start a midweek game all right now I did well there okay another one did well there okay now let me pitch on Sunday as a starter okay now let me pitch on Saturday as a starter almost you know like the Friday guy is the the ace of the staff really but we had so much talent I was just happy to make my way into a rotation by the end of the year so it was it was kind of cool to see the progression of the season coming from not sure what my role is to now I'm like going to be, you know, in the possibly drafted in the first five rounds. So it was, a, it was a cool transition. How different would have your uh, decision been, you know, based off like now, like you mentioned that D1 rule that you have to sit out a year of, of eligibility, you know, like, I mean, I honestly look at it now and think like, I don't understand it. Like we have, um, what is it? Cal, Cal Baptist, California Baptist in the yeah. Western athletic conference they basically run roughshod in every sport, women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, and they're not eligible for any of the titles, you know, like they always come in first and they can't do anything. How, how much of your um, decision-making process would have been different if it was, you know, 2021, Brett Lillard right. is looking to change and you have to sit out a year? Um, as far as I know, you might still have to sit out. I don't know what the transfer rules are now. I know with football, there's like a transfer portal you can go into and still be able to play. So I'm not 100% sure on that, but I do know like, would I have gone to D2, you're saying, or gone to a, a JC or an NAI? That's a tough call. You know, I would have, if I was going to go to junior college, that would be hard because, I mean, people still, I mean, California junior colleges are great out here. Like, they're top-notch for baseball. So I still probably would have gotten drafted. Maybe not as high, I don't know. But um, the competition would have been less. You know, so do I want to take a step down in competition as well? I don't know. It, it's, that's a hard, that's a good question. It's just a hard thing to, how, you know. I'm not sure what I would have done at that point. If I did have to sit out, uh, I would probably go to a D2, I would guess, just something still really competitive, but enough to get me on the map. So so when you make that move to Long Beach, and you obviously you're going to get more playing time, your, your goal is to not just, you know, open the door for yourself, but to kick it down, you know? You're going there to you're on a mission. You have a vision for what you want. You visualize what you want in your future. What was the exact game plan for you? You know, when you're, you're on the mound, whether, you know, you know, off the field, you got a diet, you're doing all of this other stuff. You're trying to mentally and physically prepare yourself 
to get these reps and perform at the highest level that you possibly can be. What was your exact game plan going into it now that you knew that you were going to get the opportunity that you didn't have at U of A? I think once I transferred, it became more of like a, you know, I was still a college kid, but it was, it was more of a business decision. Like, okay, this is now the year I can't mess around anymore. This is now the year that I'm going to do my best to get drafted. So every time I pitched, you know, I was a reliever, like I said, at the beginning of the year, and I would throw sometimes back-to-back days, kind of whenever they needed me. And you build the trust of the coaches so they can feel comfortable putting you in all these situations. So then I went from, okay, I'm a middle reliever. Now I'm later in the game. Now I'm going to start midweek. So the better I pitched, the more confidence I got in myself, and then the more confidence the team got in me. You know, and you could just tell the guys, my defense behind me wanted me to, to be on the mound, and they were comfortable with that too. So you know, you start to build that chemistry with your team as well. Because like I said, total gamble on myself going to a new program. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know what my role was going to be. So all you can do is control what you do on the field, which is the way I pitched and performed. So the better you do, the more opportunities you get. And so that's what I did. And, you know, luckily they saw it in me as well. So I, I became one of the main guys at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, you take it one step at a time at the end of the day, like it's either going to work out or it's not, you know, yeah. In that given moment, you know, obviously that's your goal. You, you visualize it. Your goal is to go pro. Um, that's why you made the gamble to, to play baseball. What was plan B? Did you have a plan B? I feel like, you know, in, in some instances, like it's good to plan if things don't go your way. But at the same time, like you have to be 100% in it to the point where it's like, this is it or nothing, you know, like that's got to be your mindset. But did you have other options if, you know, like let's say you just didn't get the opportunities that you thought you were going to get and you kind of had to go in a different direction? I did not have a plan B, honestly. I was plan A all the way through. And I think you're right. Like you said, that's how you have to be, especially at that age. I mean, I'm 21 years old. You know, I, that's a young kid. I don't have, like, I got plenty of time to figure out what I want to do. I didn't think about anything else. And so until, like, and I didn't really struggle too badly in college. So I was like, until I prove that I'm overmatched or that I can't handle this level of competition, it's like, I know I can still keep going. So I, I never looked back as far as like, well, what if I don't make it? It was pretty much, I'm going to make it. Let's see how far I can go. I, I never, like I said, I didn't really struggle a lot in college as far as pitching goes, other than my you know short stint in, at U of A. But my mindset was totally different at Long Beach. I was much better. I'd be, you know, I worked on my mechanics a little bit. I got much more attention from the coach, the pitching coaches there where I refined my mechanics and delivery a little bit. So I became better when I got there and the results showed. So I never felt overmatched. I, I mean, not that I was like cocky or anything like that, but I just, I had a lot of success. So why have a plan B if this is, I feel like I got a chance here. Did you gel quickly when you made the switch or were there early on struggles? Because obviously you grew a lot more there than at your time of U of A. Obviously you get the more playing time, you get to grow and evolve as a human being as well. But were there any uh, short growing pains at the beginning? Kind of, I mean, it's, yeah, it, just to get to know the guys a little bit, you know, it's a new team. They, all those guys have been together for a couple of years. So yeah, you're the new guy. You got to kind of fit in, but I wasn't, you know, I came in, I just wanted to be part of the team. I wasn't trying to take over and be the, the leader right away, or just try to, you know, insert myself into in dominant, in dominant fashion. No, I just wanted to fit in, be one of the guys, but also show them like, Hey, I'm legit, man. I'm not going to mess with the chemistry here. I'm a good guy, but I'm going to show you that I can be on this team and compete at this level. So I didn't have any issues, you know, assimilating with this team. It was a bunch of good guys. I'm lucky enough to, to you know, still call them my friends, some of these guys. So it, it was a good transition for me. I mean, the team atmosphere, I feel like in college is way different than any other level, obviously minor leagues, MLB, whatever at the pro level, you know, it's, it's more about, you know, it's about winning, but at the same time, there's the business factor. It's different, but you know, at the college level, like, like you said, like there's, you know, you're gelling with your teammates, you know, if you're lucky, um, obviously your time at long beach was a lot more, um, efficient and a lot more memorable for you because that's what, you know, paved your path to becoming a pro ball player in the minor leagues, but you know, off the field, like you, talk about, you know, being a college kid, a college student, you know, you have U of A, which, you know, great college town. You got a lot of opportunity there. Then of course at Long Beach, Southern California, you can't beat that. What were some of your fondest memories of your time at school just as a college student? You know, I loved U of A as a school. It was a lot of fun, man. Like the, obviously there, you know, the parties and just the people and just, you know, 
going to the pool all the time. Like, you know, but I didn't, I'm not a huge partier though. Like I was focused on baseball, but I will say, you know, when you're a red shirt and you know, you're not going to play, you kind of, you're like, what am I, what do I do? You know, like the team would travel you're for four days, you're there, no practice, no nothing. What do you do? You know, you're going to go hang out with your friends. So I think it, like I had a great time there going to football games and going to basketball games. Like the programs are great there. It was just a fun place to be. Um, and this is a college town, you know, ASU, it is a college town as well, but it's, you know, it's inside of Phoenix. It's kind of a big, you know, metropolitan area. Tucson is all about the college town there at U of A. So um, a lot of school spirit. It was fun, you know, all that stuff, but I'd much rather be playing than hanging out and, you know, doing the, the stuff on the side. So oh, yeah. I enjoyed my two years there, but when I transferred, I knew it was time to, you know, focus on baseball more because this was my chance. So. So you go there, obviously everything is different, you know, like we've talked about, that's where obviously you grew more as a, as a professional athlete. And then senior year comes along, like what's going in your mind, your final year, you know, cause you know, the draft's coming up, you're going to be eligible. Um, was there any of that thought in your head? Like you, you got to play, obviously you got to get the reps down. You're, you're looking to win as well with Long Beach State, but at the same time, you got to think in the back of your head, like my time's coming. This is what I worked for. Uh, was there any, you know, skepticism? Was there any like self-doubt in that regard of like, okay, this could be it for me, but at the same time, like my dream could be right around the corner as well. Yeah. And I was actually a, a junior school wise, but a redshirt sophomore eligibility wise. So I had, three more years if I really wanted it to stay. So I had a lot of leverage going into the draft. Um, I was still kind of new on the scene. You know, a lot of the big name draft picks uh, played in Cape Cod in the summer league that, you know, the famous summer league, the summer before I didn't get to do that. So, you know, I was on a great team and I pitched well. So I got a lot of exposure through that. Plus we made the playoffs. So I got to pitch in a regional, you know, against Cal and I did really well. We won that game as a playoff game. So I think that was also a big jump for me, but I used to joke with uh, my teammates and we'd always talk about this, like in our draft year, you know, every time you pitch, well, there's, that's like a, okay, you're moving up another round possibly, or you can get more money. Like, you know, so we were all, we were all competing for that as well. So um, I, I mean, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't get drafted high enough, I could have came back as a, a redshirt junior probably would have been the Friday night guy. You know, so I, I might, may have even gone higher the following year. So, um, but I kind of knew everybody was going to go that was my age, like my class was going to get drafted. I didn't really want to come back with a team that was a little bit less than what we were having. So I was ready to sign and uh, luckily I pitched well enough to get drafted. And how was that day for you? Because, you know, you hear those stories all the time with, with athletes, whether, you know, any sport, baseball, basketball, football, draft day comes some people weren't even in the area they get a call some people obviously have like a draft party waiting to get their name called some people yeah. parties and their name doesn't get called you've seen a lot of those um so what was it like for you that day like were you anticipating it because again like that's your lifelong dream right there like this is what you've worked for for the past several years yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be a first or second rounder. Like my projection for what I heard from, you know, the agency that I was going to work with, they were saying, you know, four to seven was the range I was going to go. But even watching the draft that day, it was stressful, man. And by the way, I totally, unless you know you're going to be a first rounder, don't have a draft party until you know when you're going to get drafted. So I agree with you there. Um, you know, once like the third round came and the fourth round, it's like I didn't get drafted. Even though I didn't think I'd go, it's, it was stressful, man. So I had to leave. I just started literally driving around the neighborhood, just waiting. And then luckily when I came back right before I got picked in the fifth round, and so, you know, we were watching it following online and, you know, I got picked and my family was there. We all freaked out. It was great. So, and then we had people over that night after I got drafted. So, it, you know, it's, oh man, just the buildup leading up to it, man. There's so much so many people in your ear, you know, you're filling out questionnaires for scouts. You're getting phone calls, you know, the day before, will you sign for this? Will you sign for this? Like all these teams are posturing where they're going to pick guys. And it's definitely stressful. But once you get picked and you're, you know, where you're going, it's much, you know, let, let it all out. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Have you ever been to a party like that? Like a watch party where you're kind of just sitting there anxiously, like, man, I hope he gets picked because like we're I'm, all sitting here like, yeah. I, I've never been to one of those, but I can imagine like, you know, sometimes it's you, like, especially the, the, the people that get a lot, they get fed a lot of information. Oh, you're going to be a first rounder. And then it's like, okay, there goes a second. Okay. There goes a third. And you go, it's, it's a tough, like I said, unless you know, for sure you're going early, don't have a draft party set up right away. 
that's got to be tough. Like, like you said, a lot of people, you know, calling you, a lot of people in your ear telling you what could go down, what could not go down. Yeah. I feel like it's hard to trust anything that anybody says. Like yeah. in that moment when you're talking to all these people, are you buying into what they're saying or are you smart enough to realize like anything could happen in this moment? I think it's hard because you start, you know, you hear so much, you just get so much information, you start to believe certain things and yeah. whether they know what they're talking about or not, you know, Plus, maybe like, you know, these scouts that are watching people, they turn in their lists of guys they like to the front office on draft day when they're doing their prep. But so much can go down day of, you know, so it, you really never know when you're going to get picked. Even if the scout that's like your regional guy says, oh, we're going to take you, we're definitely going to take you. You, eh, you don't really know for sure. So it's always up to chance until you get picked. So who did you actually get a call from when you get your, because you got drafted by Seattle, right? The Mariners yeah. call you who actually, you know, calls you and you pick up the phone and actually talk to them. And so the scout that, that signed me, uh, this, a guy named Tim Reynolds, he's, he's signed me. So he was the scout that drafted me. And what's crazy is I didn't, I barely talked to Seattle during the process. I think this happens a lot. Like yeah. the team you talk to the most doesn't end up picking you. It's really odd how that works, but I think, you know, they liked me middle of the year and they kept following me and, I don't know. So I was, I was their guy in the fifth round. So the scout that signed me, he, he gave me a call. So it was cool. What was that shell shock moment like, you know, again, going from college, it's more about, you know, obviously setting yourself up, but more of a team atmosphere. Now you're in the business and in minor league baseball, again, I asked, you know, athletes all the time, you went through it as well. Minor league baseball just seems like it's a grind, right? Like you're, you're going from town to town, bus to bus, uh, you're, you're paying for your own rent in a sense as well. Like there's just a lot that goes into it that could make people just, I feel like break, be like, okay, I, I got to do something else. And, you know, like I got to support myself uh, a lot better than what I'm doing now. Cause you're on the road all the time and you have to support yourself. I feel like, is it different now? I don't even know the rules there with minor league baseball, but I feel like that's something that they got to help you out with. I think the minor leagues is, is extremely the players are extremely underpaid like it's ridiculous yeah. you got some of the best players in the country playing you know going to crappy hotels you know staying in in we you know podunk towns basically so um i had someone ask me this the other day i think that major league baseball should pay for housing or the teams should pay for like a dorm room setting or something where all the guys could live a big house or something like a couple houses because to make guys pay for rent when they're and pay for food and all that stuff and gas and all that and you're making less than minimum wage it's completely ridiculous so i think you know and they sell you on the oh you'll get paid when you make it well only whatever two percent of the two percent end up making it so it's a tough gig man and you know come from college it's different like I, I never played with players from latin america before you know it's a culture shock with them too so you have to get used to the different dynamics of the team and now you've got all the best college and high school players playing together so seeing how you stack up and i feel bad for the high school kids i mean i do and i don't because they've never been away from home before you know the college guys get to be on their own you know you're 21 years old you're a little bit more mature you lived you know responsibilities all that stuff your high school draft pick man it's a freaking different world so um, you know, yeah, to answer your question, the minor leagues is a grind. It's tough. <laughs> oh my God. And I guess that's kind of a motivation factor on the MLB's part. Like, yeah, we're not going to pay for you, but you know, like if you want this work hard enough and you'll get there once you get to the pro level, you know, like once you get to the show, things will change. But well, that, you realize yeah. a lot of it's out of your hands though. Like yeah. I can't, I can't call myself up to the next level and there's five, six levels of the minor leagues I got to get through. So I have no control over getting called up or not. It's does the organization value you enough or have an investment in you to push you through. So that's probably the most frustrating part is you have zero control of your career. And sometimes guys get called up and you don't think they should. And, and mentally staying with it and knowing you have no control over that, that's the, it gets to be really tough mentally when you get, start seeing guys go up and you're like, I'm pitching better than this guy. So it's hard. So to go back to that, you know, when you're in that situation, because, you know, like you were one phone call away from being called up to the show, you know, like that, that's the ultimate goal. You, yeah. you talk about that, you know, the mentality standpoint of keeping it together, like maybe I deserve this, but I'm not getting it. Like, and then there's times where you feel like you need to be more self-disciplined in getting some of those opportunities, you know, going back to that, how 
in, in time and when you look back at it, were you more frustrated in the moment, obviously, or were, were you, did you know, like, okay, like everything happens for a reason, you know, this is either going to work out or it's not going to work out at the end of the day. It's going to be for the best though. I think some years I felt like there's not much more I could have done and still yeah. didn't get called up. Like there's a couple of years I made all-star teams and didn't get called up mid season. It's just like, what else do I need to do here? Like, why are you holding me back? You know, well, little did I know they, they try to hide minor leaguers sometimes so they don't get picked by other teams. There's a whole, that's the whole political side of things, right? Again, zero control over that. And the other thing I was going to go back to, to your point about the frustration or like, you know, in the moment, is it tough? You know, I would be living with guys on my team that I'm competing against to get called up within the organization. That dynamic in itself, it's like, okay, can you, are you happy for guys when they get called up? Yeah, but that's just one more guy that gets to go up and you don't. It's just the whole dynamic, because the minor leagues, it's about winning, yes, and it all looks nice, woo, whatever. But the goal is to develop and get called up. That's It's a selfish league. So it's just like, it's hard to see guys get called up, but you have to like be a good teammate and root for them at the same time, even though, you, like, I don't care what anybody says. You can't be happy when you know you should be getting called up and someone else does. It's just, it's a hard thing to deal with. And dealing with all of those other, you know, grinding things and those aspects that we talked about, you know, like paying your own rent, paying for your own meals, yeah. getting from city to city. Like you're not always going to be in the best moods. And when things don't go your way, that kind of just dogpiles it. When you get to like July and August and depending on where you are, it's hot. Like everyone is sick of each other. You know, you've been, I've seen you for the last six months straight. Like it's just, you know, you're in buses, you're, it's a it, it, man. It's hard. You do, and that's the that's the mental part where if you stay with it and and stuff like that. Because again, at the end of the day, you can't control anything outside of what you do on the field. So you have to mentally every day show up to the field ready to go. Because you never know. Maybe that is the day. And if you have that mindset, you got a chance. So um, and the other thing is, you don't. We don't get paid in the off season. So some guys would have to try to get jobs for the for six months and stop for six months. It's just it's really ridiculous for some of the best athletes in the country. So when you get drafted and you have to go through this, what was your um, personal situation like when it came to paying rent, you know, getting jobs in the off season, like you mentioned, what was your, you know, personal setup regarding that when you first started out? Yeah, luckily I had a decent signing bonus where I wasn't like strapped for cash and I had great support from my family. So I wasn't one of those guys that had to like go, you know, work crazy jobs in the off season. I was lucky in that regard. Um, and I did, I, I worked a little bit here and there at some of like the fitness centers that I was, you know, I kind of at like the uh, athletic performance places I was working out at just a little bit here and there, but I was lucky in that regard, man. I had a great family support and, you know, I could just focus on working out and getting ready for the season. So um, fortunately I was lucky in that regard. Yeah. I mean, that's the most important thing, you know, staying healthy physically, which will, you know, keep you sane mentally. I feel like, like I'm one of those guys, like I need to get it like a morning workout in before I do anything else, you know, like you sure. need like that thing um, before, so you can set yourself up for success, you know, and like having a great, you know, backbone when it comes to family support, same way. Sometimes I feel like, you know, it's just like, man, I wish I could, you know, do it all on my own. Uh, given my age, like 23 years old, I wish I didn't have to go to mom every now and then for, you know, money, utilities, whatever. Sure. You know, it, again, it, it's nice to have, and I appreciate it at the end of the day. Um, when did you um, get to the point where, it, you know, you're, you're going through this, you're going through the grind, and you realize, like, okay, I needed to be more, you know, I don't know, again, like coming from my perspective again at 23 going through it now having to pay rent for the first time you know like hits me like a ton of bricks so i'm just kind of you know curious like when did you get to that point where it's like all right i gotta be uh you know independent do this on my own um and again in that situation it's tough you know being on in the grind and everything but like when did when did you finally you know get to that point where it's like i want to enter the business side obviously that changes once you get out of baseball and you're kind of um, molding and evolving into different things. But when did you start realizing that you kind of had to monetize things? Um, you know, I played for seven years in the minor. So I played a long time. Um, and even after the first year, you get used to the, the cycle, right? You get used to yeah. your, how long the off season is. You get used to getting ready for the season, where you're going to live, like just how it all works. You get used to that. But look, I got traded mid season one year on the road. So like, 
it was, that was, you know, a crazy thing. Like I'm, I, I'm supposed to start that day. The coach comes over and says, Hey, you're not pitching. You're, you're in trade talk. So that was kind of a, a wow moment where it was just like, damn, I got to go back home to where, whatever city I was playing in, move out of that house, get off the lease, get out of my cable bill, all that, whatever I was on, you know, so the roommates have different responsibilities, fly to meet the team in a new place, find another place to live. Hopefully one of the guys has somewhere they can, I can crash. Like, I'm sleeping on an air mattress in a living room. You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of stuff. Um, Cause you just don't know there's no job security. Um, so, you know, I really didn't get my big break, I guess, financially until I got rule five from the pirates to the diamondback. So basically rule five, if you want me to explain it, I can do it. Um, it's like where after your fourth year in the minors, if the organization you're with doesn't protect you or put you on their 40 man kind of priority roster, other teams can pick you in this rule five draft and you go on to their 40 man roster. So I went from high A to big league camp with the diamondbacks. Like that's a, it was a huge move for me. So that was like my first, like, okay, finally I got a break here in my minor league career. So that was awesome. You know, I had one big league spring training did well, you know, that was the closest I got to the big leagues other than being in triple a, you know, the, the next, you know, double A and triple A the following two years. So um, that was when I finally was like, okay, I made a little bit now I can, I like it's doable. I mean, you get to that point, you got to think like, okay, it's doable, you know, like you're able to monetize things at the same time, like you're finally at a point in your career where you're like, I'm facing big league hitters, because again, like spring training is probably that time where you get to showcase and get that exposure from, you know, big league coaches. So how how was that experience, you know, were there uh, certain mentors for you in the organization when you, again, I feel like spring training, Arizona Folly, like all of those are, you know, you're time to shine in a sense. Yeah, exactly. And they, the, when I got to the Diamondbacks, they were at some older guys in the team. So there was plenty of veterans there that, you know, one of the guys had the same agent as me. So we kind of connected there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I was 25 years old. I was ready for like, just to give it a shot and see what I could do. Um, so yeah, I just went out there and, and just pitched. you know, it's the same game, really. You still got to execute pitches, even though they're better hitters and they're big league. And, you know, sometimes I see the name on the back of the jersey. I'm like, damn, I got to face this guy. So that was exciting. Um, it was really cool. It was a good experience for me and just to be around that kind of talent and man, it, it was cool. Were you a curious guy? Cause now you have the two tall podcasts, you know, like you're an interviewer yourself, you're hosting people on your show, asking curious questions off the top of your head. Like at that time and moment, like that's your time to pick people's brains. Like was, sure. like, was there anybody that you like would walk up to and be like, Hey, how, how did you do this in this situation? How, how can I better myself in the future so that I can reach the goals that I want to reach? You know, I only, I was only with them for like a month. So, and I, I picked a couple guys brains. I didn't know I was going to do a podcast back then. I mean, I last played seven years ago, so I had no clue about that. Um, but you know that, yeah, there was, like I said, some veteran guys that I talked to here and there. Um, but just being able to, at least I got to see it a little bit at that level, how guys, you know, pitch sequences and the way they set up hitters and stuff like that. So it was more on the baseball side. Cause I wasn't ready for life after baseball yet. I was still, tunnel vision right in the middle of my career. So it was more baseball and like how to carry yourself as a big league guy, potentially. Um, so that, that's the kind of stuff that I talked about with them. I mean, do you look back at it now and think like, I was always a curious guy, like, you know, hosting a podcast, like it makes sense because like now you talk to all of these different people, whether it's sports industry or not, you know, like you're, you're picking these people's brains and asking questions and, and getting answers and, you know, expanding your knowledge on things. Like, do you look back and think like, yeah, I was always like very, like I asked a lot of questions. I was very curious and like, this makes sense. Yeah, I think, yeah, for sure. Generally, I, I definitely ask questions. If you, I mean, I feel like if you don't ask questions, you're almost stubborn or you don't want to get better. Or, you know, if you want to improve, there's always somebody smarter than you, or maybe not smarter than you, but they've seen things that you haven't seen yet. So why not seek out that information? So hundred percent, just like you're saying, and just because I've gone through the process, you know, the reason I started is, you know, the pandemic started and I was like, I need to, I kind of have like a side passion here. So I've always kind of wanted to be on, on the mic and be on radio or broadcasting or something like that. And podcasting is a good way to start. So uh, I really enjoy doing it. And I started with kind of my network of former teammates and coaches and sports psychologists. I love the mental side of the game. So I love having those kind of people on because I want to give the listener something they've never heard before or stories about the minors. It's kind of mysterious. You know, nobody really knows what goes on. They only see the guys on TV. So what I tell people about the podcast is you're not coming to me for free agency moves and trade talk. 
and fantasy football advice. Like you can go to other places for that. What you need me for are the stories that you haven't heard. And I'm going to bring on people that are, you know, involved in sports somehow that maybe you learn something from, or maybe you, you know, get different perspective on what it's really like to make it or, you know, the transition from baseball to real life or professional sports to real life. There's a lot of things that people just don't know or don't see. So I want to be the guy to provide that for people. And, you know, I think I, I can do a decent job hosting and getting those answers for people. So it's, it's fun. I mean, it's so much more fun that way too. Cause like, there's people who want to be like an analyst and like break news, you know, like, you know how stressful that is having to like have that agenda and like being on your phone all the time or like be watching the television, waiting for news to break. Like, Plus, I, you know, I'm, I don't need to be Adam Schefter. They already have that guy. You know, I don't need to do the Woj bombs. Like they already have, have those guys like what do you need me to tell you about trades and my thoughts on like I'll do some sometimes my thoughts on things but like bigger picture you don't need me for these little fifth round pick for a second round pick. like who cares about that like that you don't need me for that so and that's what you know Zach Parker talks about with Diamante you know sports media group you know like everybody's got a different perspective each show like on the network is going to have uh, a different perspective with different hosts asking, asking, you know, the same guests, different questions. And you're going to get to see a side of them that you didn't necessarily get to see on first take or any of right. the ESPN and Fox sports shows. Cause you know, cause it's more, you know, having, I want to say a genuine conversation because, you know, like Fox sports and ESPN things you see on TV, they're scripted. They're, there's an agenda there, but you know, you here, you get to have a real interaction with someone in a, totally different you know platform and, and setup where you can actually like dive into stuff like if you want to like dive in to a certain topic you can go 30 minutes that way as opposed to on tv you get seven minutes you got a producer in your ear and you they're counting down like all right it's a commercial in five four three two and like you don't get to have that genuine interaction with people so it's cool to see that uh, for your podcast specifically, who are some of the favorite guests that you've had on? Because again, they're like a different variety of guests. You're trying to expand your knowledge. Who are some of your more, you know, memorable guests and the more memorable conversations that you've had in those? Yeah, I've had, I mean, former, you know, some, some big leaguers that are still playing right now. So I've had some of those guys. Uh, this, I, I love the sports psychologist guys. They might not be the most well-known people, yeah. but they're the most beneficial because you can apply their concepts to real life too. So I think I, I always try to sh like when someone asks, well, what should I listen to on you? I, I send them some of those guys, but also I've had like uh, Rob Gronkowski's brother, Chris Gronkowski on, yep. and he has a company called ice shaker and you got to deal with Mark Cuban and I think a rod on shark tank. So that was a big get that I got. And I went to, he actually went to U of a with me, right? He tried to play baseball. So Rob and Chris both played football at U of A, but Chris tried to play baseball first. So that's how I met him. And so that was kind of cool. And just getting, you know, his perspective on that. So, you know, like I said, in the beginning of my show last, I, I'm almost at my year anniversary. I was all my teammates and stuff. Now I'm getting like CEOs of companies or people with products or, you know, cool things that have to do with sports. So it's not just the same minor league story that you get sick of after a while. I'm starting to get different types of people out there. So I think, just being able to be part of a you know group on LinkedIn that that networks and we're all in the sports industry, we're all trying to help each other. Yeah. You meet people outside of your network, so uh, I think every everybody's got a unique story, and it's been fun to tell. And um, I'm glad I can provide content for people, and I've gotten pretty good feedback so far. So I'm, I guess I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Was it more of you know because at the time you started what probably like in the midst of covid and everything right yeah. like first episode was it more of like something to do or was it kind of a long-term thing like you always wanted to do it now now i have the time to do it yeah definitely long term you know i when i start something i'm going all in on it you know i'm lucky enough to have a producer that's a friend of mine that helps kind of cut up the episodes for me and i have my youtube channel and my apple podcast spotify all that stuff so um it was definitely long term you know they say like you have to get through the first five to seven episodes to see if you're legit and you're going to actually do it and follow through. So once I pushed through that barrier, then I was able to like, okay, I'm really doing this. And honestly, I can't, I'm about to come up on my 50th episode. I can't believe it's been a year since I started. Like it's just, it's amazing. So, and also it's given me a chance to reconnect with people from the past too, which has been cool. You know, when you leave, when you leave the minor leagues, you don't really keep up with a lot of guys anymore. So it's been, it's given me the opportunity to reconnect with guys and check in on them, but also give their story too. So it's, it's fun. You think like, again, in this day and age, you see guys like Trevor Bauer and, and other guys with their own channels while they're playing. You think you could have done this while you were playing? 
through that. It would have been awesome if I could have had the foresight to do that. I definitely, I would have for sure. Cause I could have gotten a free interview every day from a teammate right. or whatever, you know, so, or coaches or trainers. Um, yeah. If social media was as big as it is now, you know, I'm not saying I'm that old, but you know, seven years ago, the landscape was different and yeah. really players didn't have these roving shows with follow their careers like that. So now people are starting to, and he, and again, Bauer is like one of the pioneers of this stuff. So um, yeah, I think I would have if I, I had all the equipment right. And, but again, what I have been in the mindset to run a show, I don't know. I was focused on my career. I was kind of tunnel vision. It was, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough because, again, like your main vision, your main goal that you're visualizing is to become a pro baseball player. Like, right. like in the minor leagues, it's kind of, a, of about the team, but at the same time, it's kind of a free-for-all, every man for himself, you know, trying to get to that next stage in, in your life and in your career. And at the yeah. same time, you'd have to balance, you know, like, oh, I'm also creating all this content. I find it so fascinating that, you know, Trevor Bauer, the guy, obviously has his YouTube channel. He's big on that. And at the same time, like he's pitching at a, an elite level, probably more so than he did five, six years ago in Cleveland when he didn't have all of this stuff, when like you didn't really get to see his personality, which is kind of weird to see that he's been able to balance both and at the same time get way better than he was before. Yeah, I think if, if you start doing things that take away from what you're doing on the field, then it becomes a problem, right? Because priority number one as a professional athlete is what you do on the court or what you do on the field. Like that has to be the number one goal. So if you're letting these side things pull at you, whether it's partying too much or women or doing these side hustles or whatever it is, you know, if that's taking away from what you do best, then it's an issue. So as long as he's pitching at an elite level and he wants to create content while he's doing it, by all means. <laughs> and, you know, talk about monetizing things like that would, would have been a nice thing. Like if you were able to make money off of it, you probably would have balanced it out too. you know, playing. Cause again, like you said, like you'd have access to all the interviews, your teammates, your coaches, like they're all there, you know, it, it would have been easy to do if you were able to like carve out a half hour or so during BP or even before then in the clubhouse to just do it quickly and then set your focus on what you needed to do that night. Right. It would have been, you know, a lot easier. I think one thing I maybe would think about doing now looking back is maybe like if they would have allowed me, probably not, but uh, on the days I wasn't pitching, maybe like go in the booth and do some color analyst work. I think that would have been fun too, just to get some exposure there and just to see if I like it. But again, back then I didn't have that vision, man. I, I wasn't, it was, I wasn't ready for that. So, um, but if you ask me if I were looking back, yeah, maybe some more uh, in the booths type of stuff. Is that something you want to pursue, you know, moving forward as well? Kind of just, you know, getting into the TV side of it? Possibly, yes, or radio or something like that. I mean, if I could just do a podcast and monetize it and that be my thing, then that's perfect for me because I like the long-form conversations. Do I want to talk for three hours, four hours on end? I, I don't know. Um, but, like, if a radio opportunity came up, it's not like I would turn it down. You know what I mean? I would go for it right away. So maybe Sirius XM, one of those, like something like like that. Um, I'm open to anything really. Uh, I kind of got away from baseball for a little bit. I think just the business side just wore me out after my career. And now that I'm getting back into it and watching it again and having guests on, I think I'm, I'm ready to, you know, do something in sports media now. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun once you get hooked into it, like you, yeah. you be consistent with it. It's fun. And you get to hear all of these different stories and again, expand your knowledge on things. And a lot of people will compare, you know, put podcasting and uh, broadcasting in the same boat. It's like, they're two completely different entities, you know, like we were talking right. about before, like you get to have like this long form conversation, actually get to know people through this or broadcasting again, like everything's scripted in a sense like all right we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this and then you're gonna close out that way um it, it's just different it's fun it's just you know a different you know mindset you know it, it, it takes a lot so like you'd want to like go into like you know color analyzing things because again like you being the former player like that's probably what you do yeah it'd be fun i think you know just because i have perspective on the game i've seen a lot like i you know years of pitching and just so i, I think i could provide some insight there for that casual fan um, just like I'm doing with the podcast, just giving them the, the background of stuff that they may not see or, you know, as they say, like we're watching the game within the game, like this pitch sequencing and why he's throwing that, what, you know, what's the hitter doing, you know, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I think it'd be fun to do some color analyst stuff. I, I think that'd be, you know, at worst, I get to watch a game and just talk about it. Like it can't be that bad. Yeah. I mean, you get to take your experiences that you've had and then bring them, you know, full circle and kind of because you know what these guys are going through in a sense right. for the most part yeah. so 
when that all you know ends for you to go back, you know, end of your career. Um, again, you were you, again one call away almost from the major leagues, but you know things happen. You talk about whether you know you, you didn't get the opportunities you thought you deserved. Maybe you didn't. You know the politics side you mentioned as well. It is a business. What was that situation for you like? You know, finally having to realize like, okay, now I need a plan B. Now I have to find something else in order to support myself. So my last season, I played independent ball, trying to get back to affiliated minor league baseball, um, and I. Like I pitched as I couldn't have pitched really any better. Like, honestly, like my first 19 innings in independent ball were scoreless. I didn't give up a run. So I was like, all right, what more can I possibly do right now to get signed again? And it just wasn't in the cards for me. So I ended up finishing out the season there at a great time. It was Long Island Ducks. It was fun in New York, but there's, I was at the point of my career was like, I don't need the game anymore. There's nothing more I can do on the mound to, to showcase people, in my opinion. I didn't want to be a baseball lifer and just keep playing independent ball until I was 40. Like, I, that's not me. So um, I kind of always had the entrepreneurial spirit in, in the back of my, my head there. So um, I chose to – I'm sure you've had plenty of it out there in Arizona, but I became a franchisee for Jimmy John's, the sandwich place. So – my cousin and I, who's from Phoenix, um, bought one of those out here in Southern California, and we ran that for three years. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, learned a lot, you know, having employees and running the show and sticking to the franchise rules were really difficult. Um, but it was it was fun. It was interesting. It was a, a great chance for me to own my own business, but uh, definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, yeah, you're jumping two feet into being an owner, having to like work with a full time staff, and you you have to do everything, you know, like. Yeah. This this is my vision. This is the way it's going to go. And if it doesn't work out, you have all these employees thinking like, really? Like, this is my boss. I know. And this is their first job, right? They're never going to care as much as you will. Um, but we had a, you know, we had a business plan in place that we followed. Um, you know, it was, it was good. It's just, it's not like what I tell people is if I would have maybe bought an in and out franchise out here, we'd be printing money right now. But because we bought into a sandwich place that no one's ever heard of coming from the Midwest, obviously it's big in Phoenix because there's a lot of Chicago influence there. But out here in Southern California, you're just one of many places. So good luck trying to brand, you know, get brand awareness out there. So it was just hard to compete. And like I said, there's so many franchise rules that you have to stick to. For a sandwich place, you know, staying open till 9 p.m. with no customers the last four hours, like what's the point? So you're just burning through labor and you have no choice on that. And so we learned a lot for sure about that. So I didn't have your typical down period after my athletic career was over. I went right into that. So once we eventually sold it, that was the first time when I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? So I eventually got into residential solar, which I still do now for my day job until my podcast pops off. Um, but so that, that was like the first time I was like, okay, I'm going to get in sales now and do something different. So, but doing the franchise thing, man, that was like, I went right from baseball into that. So it was, it was a tough transition. Was there a passion thing in that? Or do you kind of realize like if this goes well, this could create a lot of revenue, a lot of income, obviously being a franchise owner. Was yeah. there a passion behind being? I wanted to see multiple stores through. So we only got to have one store, you know, it, it didn't, it did, it just didn't have, we didn't have the time and money to keep holding out to see if it really did pop, but we had the rights to a second store. So I really wanted to get a second store, never saw it through, but we were able to package the, second area with our existing store so we got out and we didn't lose any money on the deal which is great um but i never got to see that second store through it's hard to make money off of one location honestly you don't even know if that's your best store yet so my vision was five to ten stores hopefully it's a lot of money but you never know um but it was, it was the right move to get out man it just got ridiculously hard and you know it's the lunchtime business so you have to make all your money at lunchtime the rest of the day you're not making anything really. So it's a, it was a tough gig, man. I'll tell you that. What did your employees think during that time? They liked uh, About what, like what you mean when we sold or just during, yeah, like running the business? Yeah. Just in general. Like, did they like your style? Did they? Yeah. I, yeah. My, I mean, we kept our, we had good employee retention. We kept a lot of people and um, you know, I think we hired good people. It's just, it's usually their first job, you know, they're in college, they're, they're going to leave at some point. It's just a fast food, you know, fast casual job. They're not going to be lifers. And so you hope to find a couple that want to be managers who you can trust and then they can, you know, kind of run the show as well. But my cousin and I were there every day, pretty much, you know, 12 hour shifts almost until we finally could hire managers, but it was hard, man. It was just, 
you have to get them to buy in. You have to treat them well. You have to support them, but also like, hey, I got 18 to 22 year olds here. I got to keep them in line and like, hey, you got to follow the rules. You got to wear your uniform correctly. You got to, you know, make the sandwiches the right way. You got to treat customers well. It's just it's a lot of training. So that's the hard part is you're counting on young kids to, to run the show. So you got to find good ones. Right. And there's going to be some discipline. It's going to be those who just like, it's again, their first job. They don't know. They don't have any work ethic. Like it's just right. going to rush. Did you have any of those kids that were just like, sure. oh, yeah, it's obvious this kid's like never worked a day in his life. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Even if you never worked before, show me some effort, right? Show me you care. Show me you want to memorize the menu. So it's second nature when you're building sandwiches, like just give me at least that show up and try. It doesn't take any talent to try. So you know, you could tell within the first couple of weeks if someone was going to make it or not. You know, it's just, you know, did they care? Did they want to just sit and sit on the side and do nothing? You know, I, I wanted everyone to be involved. So, um, you know, it's hard. Like when the store is slow, how do you keep them engaged? You know, do you have to cut staff? Do you have to be mindful of labor costs and food costs? And there's a lot that goes into running a franchise. So if any of your guests want to talk to me about that, I got, I got, I can talk all day about it. <laughs> the learning experience of any, oh, yeah. like, again, like that, that is a tough thing to do straight out of, again, playing professional baseball for seven years, playing college, playing baseball your entire life before yeah. that. So what, who are some of kind of your mentors early on when it came to sales and doing that and creating more revenue for you on that side, post baseball, having to, again, kind of evolve into a new world? Yeah, I had some buddies that run their own businesses out here. So I kind of leaned on them a little bit and just the veterans in like when I transitioned to solar, just ran, veterans in the industry, you know, talking to them, my managers, you know, just people helping me learn how to sell and, and how to, even, no matter what the product is, just learning how to like talk to people or fix a problem for them and making sure, you know, get the, the main points across of how we're going to position ourselves against other companies, you know, you have to learn how to do all that stuff. So the personable side, I have that down. I can talk to people. It's just, what's my messaging and how do I get them to believe in what I'm doing? But since solar is usually a no brainer, I'm not just saying it cause I do it. It really is for people with high enough electric bills. You just have to educate, you have to educate. And then they almost make the decision for themselves that, Hey, this is not a scam. Like this is something that could really help you and you can live the same way, just putting solar on your roof, you know? So there's a lot of factors that go into, can their house go solar? But I liked selling something that I believe in. So, and I still do to this day, like the electric companies, it's a freaking monopoly. So why let them just keep charging you whatever they want instead of you can live the same way with solar. So anyway, that's, that's the pitch for that. <laughs> I feel like you have to sell stuff that you believe in too, because like if you're selling something that you don't believe in, that's very easy to catch on to. Like for sure. see that, like, okay, this guy's definitely not invested. Like you can tell just by the way he's talking to me, he's not excited about it. And like, you can tell if it's fake or not. So like, I feel like in the sales industry, you have to be passionate about it. You have to have the vision for it and you have to know what's going on or else people again, aren't, aren't going to buy in. Like people might not buy in regardless, even if you are passionate about it more often than not, not they're not, but like if you're not passionate about it, you're already selling yourself short. For sure. And that was how the franchising world was too. You know, even though it was really tough, I got to believe in the product and be able to show up every day and sell that to my employees and sell that to my customers. I'm selling the vision that, everyone else needs to buy into. So even franchising or regular sales, you know, outside sales, it, you're right. It definitely comes off. Like you can tell right away if someone believes in what they're talking about or not. And that will make someone more intrigued if they can sense that, okay, this guy really knows he's talking about and he really believes in it. Then maybe I, what am I missing? You know, maybe I should get in on this too. So, and then people can tell right away if you're, you know, BSing or, or fake or whatever people know. Well, it's good that you found that and it's something that you're passionate about because again, like people will at least appreciate that and most and best case scenario, they're going to buy into it obviously with whatever you're doing. And you know, that kind of like takes me back. This will be my final question. I don't want to take too much of your time, but you, you know, bouncing off these different things, you know, you have your day job, you, you do the podcast, you're trying to, again, expand your knowledge on a, on a ton of things while at the same time, you know, just trying to like mentally, you know, keep it all together. You know, like things get busy. COVID obviously was rough times for everybody. Um, you going through minor league baseball, which I think is one of the toughest things to do as an athlete in any sport going through that grind. Um, how are you able to, again, have that balance, you know, stay mentally healthy above all else while at the same time being a professional, doing what you want to do, accomplishing your dreams 
and at the same time, again, being a family man, whether it's being a son, a brother, husband, uh, father, whatever it is, like, how were you able to, again, keep that balance from your time, you know, as a kid growing up and the way you've seen it evolve over time to who you are now? I'm a big believer in mental health. So I think as my career went on, like I mentioned, sports psychologists or therapists, uh, I think everybody should talk to somebody that's unbiased, that doesn't know you, and you can kind of vent and get that out. So, you know, I've worked with some great sports psychologists that have really helped me with that, not just in baseball, just life coaching in general. You know, everybody needs somebody to talk to that doesn't know them, you know, isn't a family member or isn't a close friend because, they may not give it to you straight all the way. You know, they might not, they might sugarcoat it for you. It's depending on, you know, some people won't, but I think it's good to talk to somebody that's not in your family or your friend group and get an honest opinion from them and go to them about your issues or whatever is, is not there. So I'm a big believer in that. So everybody should get a mentor and talk to somebody because it can only help you. Oh yeah. I mean, you're always, again, self-improvement is going to, you know, improve everybody you know like if everybody's in a good mood and everybody's helping everybody's thinking clearly like that can only help you grow whether it's a business friendships relationships anything etc you know like you're gonna at the end of the day make everybody grow better if you're able to take care of yourself first you know it sounds selfish to some people but at the same time like in the grand scheme of things like that's how it works you know like if everybody's on the same page mentally like it's it's gonna work out well for everybody yeah, if you get better, you're going to make your, like you said, just exactly what you said, your re- relationship's better. You're going to be happier because now you get to dump all your stuff on somebody that's willing to listen, you know, and it won't take away from your time with your family and being in a good mood. And you're not bringing that drama or those negative thoughts home with you. You're getting that out to somebody who can help give you the tools on how to deal with that stuff or say, hey, look, that's not a rational thought. Like, don't let this affect you because you're creating this in your mind, whatever your stuff is, you know? So it's good to talk to somebody that can kind of like tell you, Hey, no, that just cause it's, you're thinking it doesn't mean it's true, whatever it is, you know? So I think everybody should, should talk to someone at some point. So what's your like exact, you know, plan when it comes to like organizing things? Cause I feel like if you organize things first, like things become easier. Like if you're able to plan things out day by day, hour by hour, you know, things are, when things are more organized, things are more organized in your head. Yeah. I think, you know, having a schedule, I always try to put things on the calendar, man, or write them down, you know, get it, get it down somewhere. So you can, it's easy to follow. I think having a, a, having a calendar that has stuff on it, you're more likely to do it versus just like, uh, I'll think about this tomorrow. I'll remember tomorrow. Like, no, the more disciplined you are, the more likely you're going to accomplish those things that you want to accomplish. So yeah, definitely a believer in, in a calendar and writing things down and, you know, reaching out to people, not being afraid of a no or a rejection. You know, I think one thing in, and that sales has taught me for podcasting is like, you never know until you ask. So just try it just like you've done with your show, right? Just, you never know until you ask. And most people will say yes. So yeah. it's, it's amazing. I'm sure you found that too, where it's just like, people want to talk about themselves. Why not let them do that and put them in a position to, to, you know, answer good questions. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. I mean, literally just ask until someone tells you to F off or just no, or they ignore you, you know, like it, it happens, you know, more often than not, like 90% of the time it's going to happen. But like, you never right. know. We were talking about at the beginning, like Carol Baskin re- replied in like three minutes. I'm like, okay, Carol Baskin, let's right. do this. You know? So who are some of your, you know, like, I don't want to say like overall, you know, whether business or podcast, whatever, what are some of your biggest goals moving forward that you kind of have visualized in your head? You know, we talked about going all the way back to your playing days. You visualized wanting to be a pro baseball player and to get to that point, you got to put in the work Uh, moving forward, whether again, with the podcast, whether it's in business and sales, what are some of the things that you visualize and biggest goals that you want to accomplish moving forward? Yeah, I think I want to, you know, take the podcast to the next, level now that I've established myself it's been a year now and now I can take the next step of getting some exposure you know being with a big network and you know maybe getting I don't know if it's tv or radio you know type of career or something like that but sponsorships and, and you know hopefully some endorsements and working with brands that I like and you know taking my podcast and listener numbers to the next level you know more subscribers on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and you know just being featured and being on other people's podcasts like yourself you know being able to get exposure that way and networking more. And, um, you know, I don't know what the exact future of my podcast is, but I'd like to think it's going to be successful and, 
you know, if I keep doing it and, you know, maybe I'll get the big break someday from, from somebody, but you know, the more I do it, the more I put myself out there, I think I got a good shot. Um, you know, I enjoy doing it. So I, I want to see it through and see what I can do. Do you have like a number one dream guest that you'd want to have on? <laughs> number one dream guest, man. I mean, Michael Jordan would be pretty cool, but that's like, you know, um, but you asked dream me. guest. <laughs> yeah. If I could get him, that'd be great. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I was a big Kobe Bryant guy, obviously until he passed away. So that would have been great to have, to talk to him. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I'm a, one of my, I guess in the radio world, uh, Jim Rome is like the guy I listen to a lot. So he's, he's got a fun show and he's got good, good guests and like the, his emailers and callers are funny. So, um, it'd be cool to get him on someday or like Scott Van Pelt, somebody like that, that I respect in the sports media industry. Um, yeah, anybody, any of those names would be awesome. Someone that you, you know, you mentioned those two names, Jim Rome and then Van Pelt, you'd have, be able to have a real conversation because you know that they bring like everything to the table, like nothing would be off limits. Right, exactly. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool to have like a raw, real conversation with those guys, you know, versus like the very corporate answers, you know, all that stuff. Like, exactly. no, I want to see how they really are. And they've obviously made it to the top of their profession. So I'd want to, you know, pick their brain a little bit on how they did that. Yeah, I mean, that at the end of the day, that's what drives the passion for doing this, you know, like the long form storytelling and real raw in-depth conversations about stuff that they wouldn't talk about on TV. Yeah, definitely. Which would be interesting. So I, again, Brett, I want to thank you so much for your time for being gracious enough to take the past, what, hour and 10 minutes sure. out of your, uh, what is it, Thursday? I don't even know anymore. Like I've literally like spent the last week just like moving stuff out and everything. Parents just left. It's just been crazy. But uh, thanks again so much for your time, man. Hopefully we do this again. I'd love to pick your brain about more stuff uh, regarding the things you do. And we're definitely probably going to cross paths at some point being a part of uh, the same network with the podcast. But again, again, thanks so much for your time, man. For sure. I really appreciate it. Just to tell everybody where they can find me, it's at Two Tall Sports Podcast. You can find me on YouTube, on Apple. You can hit my Instagram. So, yeah, just type in Two Tall Sports Podcast and you'll find me. So, thank you, Jack. It was great. I really appreciate it and uh, glad to meet you and be on with you, man. I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.